you're listening to another episode of Beckett's Babies, a playwriting podcast. Every week we discuss plays we love, interview theater artists, and share our thoughts on playwriting and theater. We are your hosts, Sarah Cho. And Sam Collier. And today we are so excited to have Stephen Strafford on the show. Stephen is a playwright and actor, Brooklyn-born and New Jersey-raised. His acting credits include Spamalot, directed by Mike Nichols, and Wonderful Town, directed by Mary Zimmerman. He's been on TV, in commercials, and in a movie or two. As a writer, his plays include the one-man show Methtacular, along with The Match Game, Mona Quimby, Age 38, Greater Illinois, The Model Congressman, and Small Jokes About Monsters, which will be published and licensed by Broadway Licensing this fall. He lives in Athens, Ohio with his husband and ludicrously adorable foster son. Stephen, welcome to Beckett's Babies. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Welcome, welcome. Well, we are so excited to talk to you. And we like to start every conversation with this question. What is your earliest memory? Who were you as a small, small person before you ever heard of theater? You know, it it might be... uh, yet undiscovered trauma, but I don't have a ton of really early memories. (laughs) Um, But I mean, I also did a lot of drugs in my early 20s. Um, But I even like in college, when people would talk about like, what's your earliest memory, I would struggle. Um, But I, uh, a memory I really cherish, that's one of the earliest memories that I cherish, is my mom and I were like making the bed in her room in her and my dad's uh, room and um we were like like throwing up the sheets and putting them down on the bed <laughs> while Aww. singing um papa from oliver <laughs> <laughs> so that's like a really that sounds early like such a fun time with your mom yeah, I mean, I think that's like maybe why I've like hooked into it. Um, it was mm-hmm. like um, I was such a serious kid. I was like a really serious kid, and so it, it feels like a memory of unbridled fun. Um, mm-hmm. And who I was before I found theater um, <laughs> is I was um, uh, the weird smart kid. Um, I was like moved up a grade. I um, had uh, my my mom tells the story that she um, yelled at my older brother for his penmanship in his math uh, workbook um, when he was in like third grade. But it turned out that I had taught myself long division at home and was yeah. doing his math homework um, for wow. fun. Uh, yeah, so like you know, made a lot of friends. <laughs> Um, yeah but I was like that kid I used to like read the encyclopedia for fun for fun yeah like I loved learning new things wow even when the encyclopedia was expired like it was out of date you got another one (laughs) like we had we had the world book encyclopedias um and um that was as far as my knowledge went, was from whatever year those encyclopedias were from. That's what I knew about. Wow. Okay, and then how did your mind work when you discovered internet? (laughs) 
<laughs> well, you know, for those of us um, at, in my age group, um, we are um, sometimes our little micro generation is called the Oregon Trail generation because mm. we came up always at the time when like new technology was introduced. Mm. And so um, like the internet like the nascent stages of the internet was around when I was in the, in high school. Um, and you know, it all happened very slowly. It wasn't like all of a sudden it was like we were where we are now. Yeah. Um, and so I just kept adapting, but I will say that like in the last maybe five to seven years, I've stopped adapting to new things. Like I've, I've already, <laughs> I've, I've already begun being like, you know, people are always like, oh, find me on Instagram. And that's the first thing that I was like, I will not do that. Mm. When Instagram came around. That's where you like, draw the line. No well, I don't Instagram. Love, I don't love taking pictures. And um, and mm-hmm. that's apparently like the thing of it. Although I guess now it's not. It's just like sharing memes. But like I never was one to take a ton of pictures. I always want to, you know, tell you with my words. Mm. So. So, so are funny. you still on Facebook? So <laughs> I, <clears throat> I quit Facebook and uh-huh. um, I quit Facebook. And then um, when I came to get my MFA at Ohio University, um, I was told that Facebook is used a lot, like for casting and for like all these different things. Mm. So I rejoined and for a while, I was only connected to the people at school, but then, like, a couple of people found me, and then it was, like, you know, and now I'm just back to having full Facebook. And, wow. um, mm. yeah, and it's, like, I think don't it's be, most... Don't apologize. No, it's about an apology as much as it's about, like, I am constantly thinking that this probably isn't very healthy for me. Yeah. I get that. Like, I'm just not supposed to know what so mm. many people think about things. I know that's how I feel about Instagram. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. <sighs> but yeah, I um but I love jokes, so I'm on Twitter. Oh okay. Um, oh okay. Yeah. yeah. Well so tell us a yeah. little bit about your journey. How did you get into theater? How did you start writing plays? Um I always wanted to perform um, I, you know, when I was in first grade, I had this very pronounced lisp and, um, I, uh, but it did not stop me from hosting the Alan B. Shepard, uh, elementary school talent show. <clears throat> and, um, there's like a video of me that a friend of mine shared with me years later where I'm like, and now let's welcome to the stage, Maria Putho and Karen Callahan singing, Married the Man Today from Guy Fintolf. <laughs> like, just like a full, <laughs> um, you know, like a bath I was giving the front row. Um, but uh, I got my first lead role um, in The Seven Silly Simons. Um, maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you've discussed that play on this podcast. <laughs> um, and um, I played uh, uh, one of the Silly Simons and, and had got my first laugh. And um, it was, I had to say like, all right, let's hit the road. And then I like hit the floor and I got a huge laugh and I never looked back. Like that is like literally wow. how I was mm-hmm. like, this is what I want to do. Um, 
for my first communion, I made my parents take me to see uh, a chorus line on Broadway. Um, <laughs> so it was a real shock when you I came out later. Um, <laughs> but, um, and I just loved it. I just like have always, always loved theater. Um, and my journey from like acting to writing was like I, I collaborated with a friend of mine who I worked with at a restaurant on a um, sketch comedy show that we would do. Like we had like a little partnership um, called A Tambourine for Two. Shout out to Jason Pizzarello, wherever you are. Um, and we would do these like ludicrous sketches. Um, I had a character um, called Unitard Man and we would take these videos of me in a full body, like covering my head, unitard, um, all around New York, like hailing a cab and like sunning in Central Park. And then um, our show would end with my partner, Jason, um, and I both in unitards uh, dancing to Eye of the Tiger. Um, <laughs> yeah. So like, that was like my first thing that I wrote for like public consumption. And then... Um, uh, when I got sober, um, I a couple of years after I got sober, um, I was auditioning. I should back up. So I did a lot of crystal math. <laughs> so, um, was really, I was like really good at it. I was like very good at crystal math. Um, and uh, that was that all happened in Chicago. Uh, I like moved to Chicago after college and like was a drug addict and homeless and, you know, doing all kinds of stuff. And then um, had come back to the East coast, lived with my mom for a little bit, moved to New York, kind of was still like a giant mess with alcohol and everything else about crystal meth, but um, was more uh, able to control it. Anyway, I like somehow amidst all of this alcoholism, like put together um, a little bit of an acting career and then I got sober and um, a couple of years after I got sober, I had a series of auditions to be in um, uh, the Marx Brothers play Animal Crackers. Um, and uh, that was back in Chicago. And so like I auditioned, I got callback and then I didn't book it. And I like had gotten myself so emotionally prepared to go back to this city that I had like been a drug addict in. Um, and so when I didn't get it, I like, the way I describe it is like, you know, when Daffy Duck freaks out in like a Looney Tunes cartoon, like where his <laughs> bill goes to the other side yes. of his head. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, that's how I was. I like lost my mind and I proceeded to type, uh, the word fuck, uh, like 40 times into my brand new computer at the time. And then I wrote, imagine in one sniff, every emotional, physical, and sexual insecurity you ever had disappears. Mm. And I I looked at that and I was like, oh, okay. And then I wrote that day for like eight hours. Like I wrote like, like it would like, it would look like a montage from a Nancy Myers movie. Like, do you know what I mean? Like it was like eight hours at the counter, like Um. eating crumb cake, pounding out like all these stories and then I was really surprised that they all kind of came out funny because it was like such a sad Mm. time in my life talking Mm -hmm. about this stretch of time where I was a drug addict and then that became a show 
because a lot of people told me it should be, and I fought them uh, for a long time. Um, but then it became a show. And then I have slowly evolved into someone who um, enjoys creating things more than um, facilitating the production of them, if that makes sense. Like, I feel like mm. actors are more artisans. Mm. You know, we're bringing someone else's story to life. And so I've enjoyed mm. creating them. Yeah. Can I'm you... Very long <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, that's great. I'm wondering if you can talk a little more about, um, you said people kept telling you it should be a show and you were fighting that. Um, I wonder if you could just mm. sure um, describe that a little bit. So the first time I read any of the writing that would become the show Methtacular, um, at the time I had friends who worked at um, Theater Row, which if, if you're familiar with New York, it's like, uh, it's a building that houses like five different theaters. And they were like, oh, you can have a space for free. Um, so I invited like, you know, a hundred people, um, mm. and a bunch of people came and I read like for probably like two good hours, but like, it was like thick, almost like, um, David Sedaris or Augustine Burroughs writing, like it was essays. Mm. And I thought I was writing a book and, um, everyone said, maybe not everyone, but a lot of people, you know, came up to me afterwards and were saying this should be a show. And, and I fought it because I had a very respectable musical theater career. And this, this might come as a surprise to you, but the easiest way to get jobs in musical theater is not to tell everyone you were a crystal meth addict that stole. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It just felt like, uh, like a really dumb move. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I kept writing and I kept writing and then I started to think about what if this were a show and I kept um, at it. And then, I mean, I wrote easily like 10 or 11 hours worth of material, like just so much. Um, and I, um, then kept having people say things that I would fight and then agree with. And one of them was um, uh, like, someone was like, Oh, there should be songs in this. And I was like, why, why would I put songs in this sad story? I was like, that's a crazy idea. And she this is my friend, Kate. She was like, Stephen, I've never heard you tell a story where you don't start singing. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, that's fair. Um, and then, um, we were uh, my director and I were talking about how like there needs to be like another point of view to it. And so he suggested like interviewing my mom and I was like, why would I put my mom through that? Like, that's a lot. And then, so we did that. So that's in the show. And then the game show, there's an improvised game show in the middle of the show. And that's my idea. I did that. That one, that one was me. I came up with it. Um, Mm. But yeah, it's, um, you know, it, one, there's like a whole weird, um, what's the, what's the right word I'm looking for? 
there is a certain feeling around like, oh, you're an actor doing a one man show. See what I mean? Mm. Like it, it often feels yeah. like, oh, you're like trying to do this thing and it's like navel gazing and mm. all this stuff. And um, I used to actually, people would be like, oh, is it a one man show? I was like, well, kind of, but it's like, I used to like avoid the term. Um, mm. But like, it's a one man show. <laughs> it's like it's me um, telling stories about me. Um, and yeah, so it's all kinds of tricky and also like a lot of addicts and people in recovery write shows about that. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it had a lot of tricky things around it for me, but Mm -hmm. it turned out to be this thing that's like the thing I'm most proud of ever artistically, you know, um, Mm. Because it's lived, the first time we ever performed it was 2012, and I'm doing it again this fall. Um, so, like, I've been doing this show for 10 years. And wow. what's really fun about it is that, like, my perspective changes, and more than anything, my need for the audience to think the show is good is lessened every single time I do it. So the show is better because of it, right? Because I like don't need anyone to tell me it's good. I know it's good. It's a good show, you know? So like I get to go out and just tell the story now, Hmm. which is a super cool um, and sometimes profound experience. So in the 10 years you've been performing um, Mythtacular, did you ever have to, have you found... Like, have you been revising it at all or have you kept the same since you first performed it? Yeah, I've been revising it. Um, Once upon a time, uh, the first run, two runs of the show, the game show was in two parts. So the game show would happen in the middle and then like right before the end, the winner from the first round Mm -hmm. would come back up. And um, I was called out for um, making it nice for the audience in like the darkest part of the show. Um, mm. And I thought, oh, that, that's, that's legitimate. So now we just ride through that dark part um, all together uh, through to the end of the play. Uh, another thing is there's a section wow. in the show where I bring everybody up to the present day and my present day keeps changing. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I was, when I did the show in Chicago in 2014 was the first time I did it in Chicago. I was performing in a building that I had been fired from as an addict. Like I was in the same building. I used to like, you know, bring that all the way into the space. And, um, you know, I'm constantly trying to, um, sharpen up jokes or to sharpen up um, the hard turns of the dramatic moments in the show. Um, So yeah, I'm constantly taking little things away. And then there's a couple of jokes that are reference-based that um, I could probably update, but one of the things I like about the show is it's steeped in me, right? Like, so it's still reference points that I love but like Mm. these days when I mention um the facts of life I mention like 
the 80s sitcom, The Facts of Life. Like I used Mm. to just say The Facts of Life because 10 years ago, it was still a little bit more in people's minds than it is now. Um, You know, occasionally if I'm doing the show for a younger audience, I will like be like, look it up. You know what I mean? Like I'll throw that in. (laughs) Um, But yeah, um, I'm constantly investigating um, does this work anymore? Does this still work? Is this still the part of the story that I feel like needs to be here? All of that. Yeah. That's really cool that the play is, is alive in that sense. It's constantly moving with the times. Yeah. And also there's that tricky thing of being the actor as well. Um, I always said I wanted to write a book called paraphrasing myself (laughs) <laughs> because I'm constantly like mid story. Like I, I, you, you all saw the show. So like I go in and out of past tense and present tense. Mm. And there are times where like all of a sudden I'm like halfway through a story and I'm like, how did I find my way into past tense? I used uh, to do this in the present tense. So I'm like <laughs> on the fly, like figuring out what the verb tense is, like how, like, does it need to be past participle? Like all of that stuff. Like I'm just like figuring it out. Um, so that's always fun and alive. Um, and I'm always like, um, seeing how, uh, bare bones the staging can be. Mm. I've done the show with like a full set where like, there's an apartment and the apartment has like little tricks in it, you know, like, um, and then I've done the show with like two chairs and I, I like wow. it. Always. That's really cool to think about hmm hmm okay so let's talk a little more about just your process in writing plays in general so how how do you uh how do you Stephen Strafford doctor of farts <laughs> how do you begin to write a new play um it has varied from play to play. Um, I very often, uh, I'm very good at beginnings. Like mm. I can begin a lot of plays. Like I, I think it's cause I've been in a lot of plays. So like I like, and I'm often a character who's in the beginning of the play and then like disappears. <laughs> so like, maybe that's <laughs> You know, like, I'm always, like, I, like, I'm always, like, the exposition guy. <laughs> like, I'm always, like, oh, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. Okay, bye. <laughs> like, enjoy the meaty middle of the play. I'll come back at the end. Um, <laughs> but, like, um, the, lately, um, my plays have come from things that I, um, feel despair about. Hmm. Um, I think a lot of playwrights come from a place of anger. Um, and, um, you know, certainly not to get like, you know, I, I love a lot of straight guys. Let it, let it be known. Like, I think there are a lot of <laughs> heterosexual men in the world, but like, certainly this like, is a safe space to critique straight guys. <laughs> Well, you know what I mean? It's like, I just feel like straight guys, like, write from a place of anger, and then, like, also, like, want to critique you if your play isn't angry enough. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I just feel like I get. Um, anyway, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I have feelings around that. Like it's like I'm sort of opening, I guess, something up for myself. I write. I, I'm not comfortable with anger. Um, mm-hmm. Some of that is because of my sobriety. Like getting angry and like building resentments about stuff like leads people to drink and do drugs, and I haven't in about 15 years, and I would like to not for the next 15 years. So I tend mm-hmm. to um, try to get underneath anger, which I think usually underneath anger is like hurt, right, and mm-hmm. um, uh, disappointment and um, betrayal and like those things. So like for me, um, the first few plays I wrote were very much like the first play I wrote was my actual story. The second play I wrote small jokes about monsters was a sort of, it's a wonderful life play. It was like a version Mm. of me. if I had never gotten sober. Um, and like what, how I would employ humor if I was still that person. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm, I think I'm constantly, I've, I've written a play about uh, someone having uh, advanced cancer um, because my sister-in-law is, is living with stage four cancer and I, get so sad about that and um she's really funny so I got to write like a funny person who has uh Mm. you know um living with cancer and not somebody and like somebody who's like making a lot of mistakes (laughs) like it was important to me that like I guess I also I also like taking like tropes from theater and then like just turning them a little bit to the left um I feel like other, I was talking about this with Sarah um, at the Great Plains Theater Conference where we met um, about how, like, yeah, I know, so fancy, um, <laughs> about how I'm, I'm not someone who busts open paradigms. I'm just not like built like that. Um, but I love trying to like push out from the inside at paradigms to see if they can mm. stretch. Um, and I, uh, for example, so, um, I wrote my play, the model congressman, um, around, uh, the feelings I have around the closet because early on in my acting training, I had a professor, um, tell me like, basically like I needed to butch it up you know um or i would his quote was or you'll only ever play homosexuals or aliens Um, wow so many people got uh, told that in your generation of performers yeah it it was legitimate like and like i think you know i think he thought he was helping um right and to be fair there were a lot of doors closed to me. And to be fair, there are a lot of doors closed to a lot of people because they don't choose the closet. And so, and that's like the reality. 
like we I think in in my mm. youth it was like no I'll prove everybody wrong and I honestly look back and listen I've had a great career but I played a lot of homosexuals and aliens you know um, <laughs> I play you know if everybody in the play is Jewish I play a duplicitous Nazi if everybody in the play is Gentile I play the one Jewish person like it's like mm. I play the other mm. um because there's something about my queerness that like reads that way um and uh so this play was born, Model Congressman was born out of this idea about like revisiting the kid who was still in the closet, um, but wanted big things, um, wanted to, you know, um, had ambitions, you know, had mm-hmm. big dreams. And so the play, I sort of moved it over to um, a kid with political aspirations and um, it's, it's a play around sort of the tricky nature of um, adult and teen sort of sexuality and a play around um, what we give up if we choose the closet, but also like implying what we give up if we come out early. Yeah. Um, and there's also like a whole scene where like somebody like vomits everywhere. <laughs> like it's just like I I also like have like these ludicrous bits of comedy in there because I don't know how else to tell any story. I always mean to just like write a straight up drama. And then I end up being like, but what if? <laughs> it's like, yeah, don't do that. Really... There's enough people doing that. Yeah. yeah. Um well let me just say if you wrote a play called Homosexuals and Aliens, I would love to see that play. <laughs> oh, how fun. Oh my God, It'd I would love musical. that. Homosexuals and Aliens. like, And what if it's just like straight up about a couple of homosexuals and a couple of aliens? Yeah. <laughs> it almost writes itself. Honestly, oh I would watch this. Yeah, I would watch yeah. this. Oh my God, that would be so much fun to write. Yeah, do it. Um, all right, great. Done and done. <laughs> well, since we are still living through this pandemic, which feels like it will never end, I wonder um, how the pandemic has influenced the way you see or think about the plays that you're writing. Um, has it, I mean, it, it almost feels dumb to ask, has it affected the kind of work you've done for the last Years, so I'll just say, how has it affected the kind of work you've done? So I applied to grad school for an MFA in playwriting um, right before the pandemic. Like I visited Mm -hmm. Ohio University a week before everything sort of shut down. And wow, um, yeah. So at the time, I had been saying you know, to, to myself or to anybody who would listen, like, Oh, the only bad part about like doing this MFA is I worry I'm going to like miss out on acting stuff. Like I'm going to miss out on like doing plays with everybody. I'm going to miss out. And so sometimes I feel like <laughs> I monkeys on this pandemic. <laughs> um, so like, sorry, everybody. Um, it's your fault. I, um, 
I do, I do think so sometimes. It's, it's um, so many people's fault now. I feel like so many people have said this. They, they, right know, the minute, they cried out to the gods. They wanted a break. Yeah. <laughs> You're not the Maybe first like, to oh, say this on Beckett's babies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just feel like, um, but I don't know how much it's affected um, what I write or how mm. I write honestly because mm. I was already pretty um isolated like I, I mean I work like when I was doing a show in Chicago like work was where I socialized and then like I spent time with my husband at home and so like when work went away then it was like I socialized over zoom doing stuff sometimes yeah. right if anything i was actually more in touch with people like i like got back in touch with some older friends who i'd been out of touch with and um because there was more space for that yeah. um i don't know i i honestly don't think i'll know how it's affected like my point of view or my mm. um my output until years from now I think I would need a lot more yeah. perspective to figure it out. Yeah. I do know that I have been able to, because I'm, I'm the sort of person as an actor who's worked like in New York and uh, in California and in Maine and in Chicago and like all these different places where I like know actors. So like zoom allowed me to, keep up with those actors in ways, you know, build relationships with actors. Almost all of my plays getting done are about actors wanting to do it. So like mm-hmm. productions have come from like an actor being like, I'm going to play this part. I'm bringing it to the theater. Right. Um, Cause I'm not really, um, as Sarah learned at the Great Plains Theater Conference where we met. You're um, <laughs> just drop, name dropping. Yeah. But Sarah, where we hung out with Ann Washburn, um, who cares? It wasn't a big deal to me. Um, but, she hung out um, with you. That's right. Mm-hmm. She asked us for directions. That's the thing that happened. Um, <laughs> but, like, I, um, I'm not. I don't feel very like keyed into that world. Um, but I am keyed into the world of actors. And so it allowed me to like have zoom readings of things and like all of that stuff and like not worry about like, Oh, I'm making people come over my house. I should buy them all Thai dinner. Right. You know what I mean? Like it was like, it was able to, and people were so excited to act like actors were so thrilled to act um so that was nice um i will say it kind of helped my mfa experience i think the pandemic really because yeah so i'm like a deep 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 people pleaser like i need i need everyone to love me like and it like takes over a lot um Mm. and so um, the notion of being older um going to grad school where like I would be, you know, significantly older than other people and like just like feeling like not sure like 
does my style of joking work with younger people? Like all of that stuff, right? Like, um, and of course I've like done plenty of shows with younger people who think I'm very funny and they really like me. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like I was convinced, right? And I honestly think if I was in person for that first year, my first year was the pandemic year. Like I think I would have been focused on all the wrong stuff. And instead, mm. I was really able to learn and I was really able to build one-on-one relationships with other playwrights. And, um, and yeah, so I don't know about how it's affected my writing. I think like in a lot of ways, I've had a lot of silver linings from the pandemic. And um, yeah, I think that's it. Hmm. I think there's something you touched on which I'm really interested in is this like actor playwright hybrid kind of um I just it's I think that's something really cool about actors who act first and then go into writing um and I wondered if you can just talk a bit more like uh like, I don't even know how I'm trying to phrase this question. COVID brain. Maybe, um, like, how acting has influenced your writing? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, because I'm, I'm just thinking, like, um, at Great Plains, Stephanie Kyungsun Walters was, she's an actor, playwright, and and I just, I, I, there's something, there's just something interesting about actors who are also writers that they're they're writing from that perspective of actors for but then having that experience and that history of acting and how how does that inform your writing yeah I think being an actor for so many years like and specifically an actor like in the theater in America um has made me a very practical writer um, like I've heard readings recently of plays where I'm like, how are they going to do that? What mm. theater is going to produce that? Like, I like, I get very, no. So some of that is limiting, right? Like it limits me in a way where like, if I have like a big idea, I sometimes am like, I mean, it's just basically saying no to lots of theaters. Right. Mm. Um, so I tend to think very, very practically, like, like I am, I am always thinking of the actor having to do a quick change when I'm writing. Yeah, yeah. Like I am always thinking through that stuff, like the very practical stuff of like what it is to make a play happen. Um, so again, sometimes I think that can be limiting, probably, to my creativity. I also um, refuse to write any character that an actor wouldn't enjoy doing. Mm. Um, I have played enough exposition Johnnies, you know, um, <laughs> Johnnies. Um, we're like, we're sort of like, this is fine. This job is fine. Yeah. You know, um, but you want them to I, have fun. That's great. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I want people to be excited to do the play because you can feel that in an audience. Um, and I, Like the actors are the ones who sit with the play the longest, you know, Mm. directors, um, 
you know, sail in, sail out, say yes, say no, you know, then are like, goodbye, it's done. Um, I love directors, P.S. I think directors are amazing. I think they do wonderful work. Um, but, uh, I, you know, they're, they're there a short amount of time. And actors usually are, you know, they're the, the time of the director is, and then they're running the show forever. They like live with it for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and their bodies think they're going through the thing. That, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're really living with it. And one thing for sure that being an actor has done is that I write specifically complex queer characters um, that are, um, that go through something that aren't, you know, sort of in, uh, in witness to something. Um, and I also, um, make it a point to write complicated and really fun roles for women over 40. Oh, I love that. Mm. Because women over 40 in any acting job I've ever had from the very beginning of my career till now are my favorite people in the room. So Mm -hmm. I, and they get less and less to do. Right. Um, so I'm always trying to write interesting, like, like shows that have show them being funny and also them being super dramatic and like giving, giving them a chance to really stretch. Um, and again, I think sometimes that's limiting, right? Like, uh, there are plenty of playwrights who write plays where I'm like, oh, this is a really cool story and I can't imagine having to do it or be an actor in it. You know what I mean? Like it, mm. it's, but it's like a really cool story. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I just don't, I'm always thinking about being in the theater. That's the other thing. I write a lot of like, you know, Methtacular has it. Um, my play Mona Quimby, age 38 has it. Um, uh, there's an element of it to my play, the match game where like, I am really imagining being in that theater um, yeah, because there's like hyper theatricality to the shows, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And that's also, so like, that's like a little sidebar off of being an actor playwright. I think that comes from the fact that like, first and foremost, I love going to see plays. Like I still like delight at being in the audience of a play or a musical. Mm-hmm. Like I yeah. just love it. Um, and so I'm always like really aware of that relationship uh, between the actors doing the show and the audience. And did I answer the question? I feel like I just yeah 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 oh okay. yeah oh, no you did that's great. Well, Stephen, before we uh, wrap up, one question we have remaining for you is. If you were to have a dinner party and you could invite any three playwrights, living or dead, who would you choose? All right. (laughs) Three playwrights. I would invite... Uh, this is difficult because like there's the like playwrights I know personally that I would like prefer to be at the dinner mm-hmm. party. Um, <laughs> but then, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause like, it's like a real wild card inviting your heroes. Um, but <laughs> so like here, so I have two answers. You can pick <laughs> okay. whoever you want. Okay. I would pick 
Thornton Wilder. Oh. Um, so I would pick Thornton Wilder, Alice Childress, mm. and Sarah Cho. Oh my God. <laughs> Whoa, I love it. People wow. Are <laughs> what do you mean? What are you talking about? <laughs> What a great group. Sarah, I think that's the first time anyone has picked one of us. If I were picking a third, um, like, you know, from, from heyday, it would, um, I would also like, like addendum would be maybe Dorothy Parker. Mm. Oh, okay. I think you can have all four. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's gosh. good too, because I don't like having dinner with more than five, str- like people. <laughs> Um, because if you get I, here's this is the truth like and this is like real advice I think for people if you're like at an event like if you're like and you're someone who gets anxious in restaurant situations like where like people mm-hmm. you can't trust how people are going to treat the wait staff I believe that five is the total number of people that you can sort of like push people into being good to the wait staff once you get to six oh, off. oh interesting yeah yeah that's a yeah. good rule of thumb we in our life. When when Sarah and I were at the Great Plains Theater Conference together, <laughs> uh, people would go out to dinner, and I was always like, "No thanks," because I just like couldn't trust like how people would be, mm. and it like because oh, it stresses me out. I waited too many tables; it stresses me out. Yeah, and yeah. so you can't oh. just like enjoy the conversation because you're thinking about what is that person going through right now. Well, that yeah, it's so like, and sense. because like you sit down with like a bunch of people too, who you like really like Mm -hmm. in one capacity. And then like, you see them be like, um, it's just weird. Like you don't really have, you don't have this dressing on the menu, but like, is it possible that they could like maybe make a balsamic in the back? You're like, (laughs) Oh my God, I liked you earlier. You know, like it's just, Oh, interesting. So I prefer to like people. Rather than um, know who they really are. Yes. <laughs> I, have, I have a finite amount of time on this planet. Interesting. Like, yeah. I'm sorry. Like, my job is not to investigate every person and turn them over and figure out who they are. <laughs> I have, like, I have done that enough. I, I mm. am allowed. I, I give myself permission <laughs> to just enjoy people in limited capacities. Mm. That's beautiful. That sounds so healthy. Mm. Yeah. I love a boundary. <laughs> boundaries so important mm-hmm. so important um okay so if we'll, okay that five people huh i didn't really think about that but you're absolutely right like more than five and i'm just like we're never gonna leave this restaurant correct because <laughs> <laughs> it's like the people are just yeah okay yeah wow okay wow um do learn something on this show um uh oh i have one last question before we move on to glistens okay all right so if what advice would you give to young steven oh um what do you know now based on yeah. what you know now uh, I would probably advise him to take notes 
along the way. Uh, maybe journal. Mm. Um, and I would advise him. I wouldn't change anything because, like, I really mm-hmm. like my life now. Like, I have this great mm. husband, this killer foster son. He, yeah. he actually is a killer. I'm <laughs> like, he has killed. <laughs> um, uh, no, um, I. Uh, <laughs> great uh six-month-old foster son and we're living in a college town and i'm pursuing a degree now so i wouldn't go back and like not do drugs or anything because like i don't know it brought me all here but yeah i would definitely say to yeah like take take some notes about like the way uh, people make you feel um and to try and enjoy the happy moments a little more freely mm. that's the advice i would give young steven that's beautiful yeah yeah, that's good advice for all young people. Yeah. Take note, young person. Yeah. Um, all right. So we're going to move on to Glistens. Um, it's a part of our show. We like to just point out some highlights of the week, some headline that might have caught your attention or music you discovered. Um, on the show, I've literally talked about artichokes. And discovered them. Um, <laughs> so I'll start first. Um, my glisten is, and Stephen has mentioned it a gazillion times now, is Great Plains <laughs> Conference, where I met Stephen. Um, and uh, it was a great time. It was a week of listening to plays um, and talking about playwriting. And I gotta say, a live reading beats Zoom reading every time. <laughs> oh like, gosh. Yeah. Oh, and I was I I there's just something about being in the room with the audience and I was like, man, I really miss this. And I didn't know I took for granted how um amazing live readings and play readings and theater shows was until it was taken away from me. So that's my glisten. Sam? Um, okay, yeah, my glisten is Duolingo, which let me just say has come a long way from the Duolingo <laughs> of the days of yore that I remember from the last time I tried it. But I'm gearing up for a um, like intensive Spanish class, so I've been trying to build a foundation. And it's so addictive. It's just, you know, it's like yeah. the power of app design used for good is... Very inspiring to see. Yeah, I tried learning Korean on Duolingo, and I was like, I was kind of getting frustrated. Really? I was, I was like, it's not, I didn't feel like I was building anything. And there was a lot of repetition yeah. in a way that I was like, oh, I'm not learning. But it's I true, see the, it is very repetitive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it can only take you so far, but um, yeah. I, it feels really good for kind of get, gearing up for a class. I do get really competitive with the other people on Duolingo. It's like, I want to get more points than them. When you're Really? Like, that has never occurred to me to care really? a little at all. Oh, my God. About I, what other I, people are I doing. Gave, 
I gave up. I gave up doing it at one point because this biatch was just like <laughs> not sleeping and eating and just playing Duolingo. And I was oh like, my oh my gosh. Anytime I it shows me the this. other people, I just, I'm like, why are you showing me this? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I got so, I get weird. Wow. I got weirdly so competitive. Different. And I was like, and then Nick uh, was like, you're getting competitive over your native language that you already your <laughs> language you already kind of know and you're upset that they know I, I don't get it. she was he was just like you need to get off of Duolingo. do you um, think that could have been uh artificial intelligence probably I, good oh i hope on. so yeah i hope so i'd rather <laughs> Oh, it's just a bot. We're getting it. mad at a bot. A bot. Yeah. Yeah, that could be. But Steven, what's your glisten? Um, uh, so when I got uh, back home from the Great Plains Theater Conference, oh, I yes. um, immediately started te- uh, co-teaching with my husband a musical theater intensive here at Ohio University. <gasps> cool. And so this week i've been working with 10 high school students um on um eventually we're creating this little like review that they're gonna do um and they are spectacular kids you know um and they love this thing the way that i loved and continue to love this thing and um I, my, my husband is a very, very good teacher and I am, uh, I keep joking that like he's teaching them lots of skills and I'm just giving them like avenues to cry. (laughs) 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 Um, But like, it's been, um, it's, it's, Sarah was talking about Great Plains and, and I had like a good and then a really difficult time there. Um, Mm. and, um, it was a very complicated time for me, especially right at the end. And so I left feeling kind of roiled with feelings, uh, complicated, complicated, uh, deep feelings. And then to be thrown headlong into this week of young people who are just like, I love this so much. I'm going to do anything it takes to do it. I was like. And, and like, you know, throughout the week, I had like a callback for a commercial and was like, oh, I have this callback for a commercial. And they were like, what? A commercial? You know, like, <laughs> you're like reminded. I'm just excited for you. Yeah, you're reminded that like, and, and, and I say this sometimes and I, I should say it more, is like 14-year-old Steven would be absolutely floored at the life I have. Mm, yeah. You, you know, so I think yeah. it's been nice to like check in on again give you that perspective yeah oh Oh, that was a good note to end on thank you steven yeah thank you steven where can our listeners find you you mentioned you're on twitter i am on twitter it's at steven strafford uh steven is with a v because i spell it correctly and (laughs) strafford Strafford is doctor of farts backwards. So that's how you know you spelled it correctly. Because people want to make it Stafford or Stratford. Um, 
and uh, sometimes they like to misspell both my first and my last name. <laughs> um, but um, it's at Stephen Strafford. You can um, also, if um, you want to see Methtacular, um, mm-hmm. I have uh, a two-camera edit um, from when I performed the show at Steppenwolf Theater in 2019. I don't have it public on YouTube, but I have a link. So if you hear this podcast and you're like, I want to hear your hilarious tales of meth. Um, and you do, then- because it is excellent, folks. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like, uh, just reach out, um, you know, DM me on uh, Twitter and I'll send you the link. Nice. Thank Amazing. you, Steven. Well, come back soon, Stephen. Anytime. This was such like a lovely conversation. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Beckett's Babies. If you enjoyed what you heard or learned a thing or two about playwriting, be sure to like, subscribe, and share the podcast with your friends. And if you'd like to reach out and share with us your thoughts on playwriting and theater or maybe be a guest on the show, be sure to visit our website at www.beckettsbabies.com. That's www.beckettsbabies.com, and you can contact us there. Thanks for listening.